This is the Disability Visibility Podcast with your host, Alice Wong. Rapping and sitting down. Greetings, my friends. Welcome to the Disability Visibility Podcast. Conversations on disability politics, culture, and media. I'm your host, Alice Wong. It's only the end of May, and I cannot believe we have another seven months left in 2020. On the upside, I'm really excited about the episodes I've lined up for the rest of the year. Today's episode is about hate crimes with Dr. Sachin Bavithrin, the Director of Policy at the Center for Persons with Disabilities at Utah State University. Sachin is also the Chair of the Access Board, an independent federal agency. We talked in October last year about his personal experiences, and please note there will be discussions on hate, hate crimes, racism, racial profiling, police brutality, xenophobia, and violence. Are you ready? Away we go. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. This is great. I'm glad you reached out. I'm really glad that you agreed, and um, I'm just really, you know, curious and would love to learn more about uh, your work and just the topic of hate crimes because I think this is such a big issue in our community that doesn't get enough attention. So. Before we dive in, do you mind if you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Sachin Pavitran. I'm originally from India. I was born in India. I grew up in in the United Arab Emirates and then came to the U.S. as an international student and then stuck around. Um, so, yeah, I'm an immigrant, blind person of color that's been living in the U.S. for 20-plus years. Great. And... Can you tell me a little bit about the work you do as the policy director at the Centers for Persons with Disabilities at Utah State University? Sure. So um, I've been employed at Utah State University for a while now, and I've my current role, my primary role, is the director of policy, where I work with state level legislature, state level legislation, and also work in federal federal level. So I work with Congress and also state legislature on different policies and laws that impact people with disabilities at large. Um, so any any conversation that happens when it's in the policy space as it impacts people with disabilities, that's my I'm the liaison for the university. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I have all the answers. I'm the person who brings the people with the knowledge or the research or the data to the lawmakers so they can make appropriate decisions. So I first came across you maybe up when I was a mm. member of the National Council of Disability many years ago. Yeah, we attended a meeting about social media accessibility. Yeah, so I was appointed by President Obama. I was fortunate to be appointed by President Obama to the U.S. Access Board 
and I was the chairman of the agency, I think, when I met you. Um, so the U.S. Access Board is an independent federal agency. Mm -hmm. The primary role for this federal agency is to write standards that that impact all the different environments that we live in. So if you take, for example, like the build, any buildings you might walk into, what you know, what are the things that set standards? Like you know, the accessible pathway to the building, what's you know, accessible bathrooms, the signage, the braille signage you see by the doors, all those different technical standards the access board is involved in. One big thing uh, when we talk in the space about web accessibility. Um, access Board is involved in the sex, Section 508, which requires all federal agencies to make their web content accessible. Um, you know, uh, passenger vessels, pretty much anything you see that has an accessibility piece to it, Access Board has a hand in it. So our role, like I said, is to write the standards. Then, is, then after we write the standards, the uh, different agencies implement those standards. We don't oversee standards. We just write them so that it's it's best practice and then whatever the industry might be should follow it. One of the last ones we pushed through under the last administration, under the Obama administration, was the Section 508 Web Accessibility Refresh and then Medical Diagnostics or medical diagnostic equipments so accessibility around those so it's a very small agency but it has a huge footprint around the country and is also well respected around the world for what we do a lot we get a lot of inquiries from other countries to kind of duplicate the work we're trying to do my personal experience as being a blind person and the things I come across and also in my professional experience, you know, understanding what accessibility guidelines and standards mean, I, th I see the importance of having, you know, experts at agencies like the Access Board to give that kind of input because it's, you know, in order for people like me to be fully included in communities, we need an environment that's going to be accessible and inclusive. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm glad that I have a small role in, in playing to make that happen. So earlier this year, there was a blog post from the Centers for Persons with Disabilities featuring an interview with you about your experience with a hate crime. And, you know, I was wondering uh, what prompted you to tell your story. And do you mind I just sharing that story with our listeners? Sure. So uh, the reason that blog post came about is uh, Utah was working on a, on the state level, they were working on a piece of legislation. Um, that wants to include disability as a category under hate crimes. Um, so that was that was being floated around during a legislative session in the state. And as a person who has experienced hate crime, and I never really spoke about it to people. You know, a few of my friends knew, but the, the few experiences I've had all my life. And 
I when I started talking to the PR person on staff, it just uh, about this topic, not about me. It all just came out, and when it came out, and they were surprised, and they want was wondering what why I haven't ever said anything about it, and if I was okay to, you know, blog about it. So yeah, that's how it came about. So the story that was, uh, I think there was two stories indicated on the blog. One of them was, um, it happened here locally in Logan, where where I live, Logan, Utah, uh, just uh, not too far away from campus. I was uh, at a bar with friends, um, just, you know, just hanging out. There was, uh, there was four of us. There was, uh, and there, I was the only non-white person in this group. And I was, you know, I was having conversation. The people I was having that I was conversing with were uh, three uh, white females. And we were just talking and, you know, chatting in the bar, just like anyone does, you know, while socializing. All of a sudden, I feel this pull and I'm pulled off. I'm sitting at a booth uh, and my, you know, back's facing the booth. And all of a sudden, I'm pulled off my seat. My back's like hanging over the back of the booth, and this person is yelling at me. And it, it all happened so fast. I I didn't have much time to even react. Like it it just happened that quick. And he started yelling racial slurs and to me and to the uh, in the women sitting across from me, but mainly directed towards me. And he started yelling, and all I know is. My, I heard a friend of mine come running or coming up to me and pushing this guy away. Then I heard a bottle break. For what I found out later is he was almost about to crack that bottle open on my head. Uh, if my friend didn't jump in at the very second, that would have broken open on me. So it, it, it ha- like I say, it happened really fast. All of that happened. Too, uh, so fast that there was no reaction time, but it it absolutely freaked me out. Um, the the bar uh, I don't know whether he's the bartender or the manager came up um, and you know obviously tried to break things up and said something to this individual you know who was yelling at me. He was with a couple other people and they were also kind of uh, getting heated up towards the bartender and they got kicked out and soon after that happened the bartender or manager comes up to me and starts questioning me asking what I did wrong which threw me off again when all I was doing was sitting and this guy just pulled me up for some reason he the manager thought that I might have instigated something um, which made me a little more you know, I guess upset that, you know, it's like the person who, you know, was victimized became the one who was being lectured almost. Yeah, so so that's one of the incidents that was mentioned um, in the blog. Um, it, it was a hard one, and I didn't, I didn't really talk about it much at all. Like, you know, obviously the people who was there with me saw it, but I didn't even want to talk to them about it because 
I was, I, I want to say I was embarrassed also, but I also was shaken up. I never experienced something like that before, and it just threw me off completely. Yeah, I mean, it must have been incredibly traumatizing, and, you know, it took you a while to kind of process it. As you mentioned, it happened so fast, it was so violent, and especially the aftermath in terms of not be believed or be questioned, which again kind of just, you know, sometimes when things like that happen, it just really kind of shakes the way you see the world and the way the world sees you. Um, did it affect the way, like, do you see yourself or the way you kind of perceived what you thought, you know, society should be? It in a f- initially like soon after it happened, you know, I went through this process where I just wanted to forget about it. I didn't want to think about it. Didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anything to do because of the whole you know piece about being embarrassed. But after that, I start going into this phase of being really upset or angry that I didn't do anything about it, and it. It put. It's hard to describe. It put me in this phase where I was always suspicious. What I, you know, how people are perceiving me. You know, being a blind person, I can't. You know, I don't read body language. I can't tell how, how people are looking at me, or you know, because there's a lot lost in regards to that. And it it made me uncomfortable in unknown environments where I wasn't sure if, you know, especially in environments where I'm by myself and I can't read people, am I welcomed here? You know, those are kind of the questions I started asking. Do people, are people staring at me? Are people, you know, is this going to happen again? You know, those are the kind of questions I kept asking. Like, I got over it after a while, but there was a good length of time that I just could not get over the fact that this happened and, and I was almost thinking this it's going to happen again. Yeah, I think for a lot of people with disabilities, whether it's an apparent or not apparent disability, you know, safety is not always a guarantee. And, you know, before this incident happened, did you always feel relatively safe and confident in public spaces? Before this... um... Yeah, like I've never had something like this. You know, you get into debates and arguments in you know certain settings, like in a bar setting. But I never felt threatened. You know, have I argued with someone? Yeah, I have. But you know, have the conversation got heated with you know people that I just recently met at a you know like in a setting like that? Yeah, but never felt like I would be attacked. You know, I never felt that it would be something that would be, you know, you know, to a point where you know, that it could get beyond just, you know, 
verbal, uh, you know, argument. So, yeah, I never thought about it prior to that, and since then, yeah, it 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 like you know the other story that's on the blog um, that I mentioned. It never got to this level, but it, it was soon after nine eleven happened, and I was on campus, <coughs> and I was walking. Um, I, I was um, I was heading back to my workplace, and this you know this individual that just uh, walked by you know I, I knew there was someone approaching me but you know there's always people on the sidewalk on campus but this person just walked by but as soon as he got pretty close to me he just yelled out, you know yelled out another racial slur and basically told me to go back to my country um, you know you know obviously he assumed I was Middle Eastern and and he said he said things that was very hurtful. Now, could I, did I know who it was? No, I had no idea who that person was. I did, when as soon as I got back to my work, I mentioned it to a couple of people. And the only response I got is, oh, that's too bad. You know, you know, there are jerks out there. But there's nothing I could do. I couldn't give a description. There's no way I could report. What would I say? This this guy came and said this. Well, that's 28,000 students on campus and 3,000 staff and faculty. It could be anyone. It could be someone who doesn't even have anything to do with the university. You know what I'm saying? So it, 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 my blindness put me at a disadvantage. And it, now, I didn't feel threatened, but I felt really upset. Um, and I felt even more upset that I couldn't report it. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's really frustrating. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where there's a cumulative effect where these kinds of, you know, whether it's, you know, harassment or, you know, microaggressions or discrimination, just, or just outright violence, you know, it's so many times we can't separate it from our disability, our race, our gender, and you know, all of our identities, uh, you know, in addition to those two, you know, pretty horrible experiences, have you experienced other kind of, like, subtle or overt forms of bigotry as a disabled man of color? Over the years, you know, the, these are two kind of what I highlighted in the in the blog. There's been a couple of small things um that that has happened you know I, I, you know and I, I don't know whether you can classify small or big you know it depends upon the individual's perspective works um you know a couple of examples i'll give you um i i was with a friend of mine this was while i was in college uh he's filipino um you know and i'm indian and he has a, you know, we're leaving our friend's house and going back to campus. Um, he, you know, he was playing loud music while we were driving. And we, we to get to campus, you had to go through this area. There's different ways to get to campus, but the way we went, it's kind of isolated a little bit. All of a sudden, we get headlights flashing at us and it was cops telling us to pull over and 
they you know we pulled over and there's a cop car in the front cop car in the back i, I, I can't remember but i think there was like three cop cars and we both get pulled out and uh, he, the cop push you know pushes both of us to go to the back but here i'm i'm blind but it was a time when i wasn't using my cane this was like i'm still kind of going through you know the whole identity piece where i should show you know except that I'm blind and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I wasn't using my cane. So there was no way for the cop to know I was blind, but I was saying, I can't see, I can't tell where you're pointing me to go. He, The cop would not listen. And every time I reach out to my friend, they yell at me. Um, it was just a bizarre and uncomfortable setting. And they just would not uh, listen to anything I had to say. But on top of that, they, when we asked why you pull us over, they all they said was, "You fit the description of someone we were looking for." And now, they would not ask what the reason was or anything. They just said we both fit the description. And when we, anytime I ask question, they yell at us. So finally, they just, you know, they well, they went to the to the truck and pulled a bunch of things out to look for stuff, and then one of the cops came and said something and they all laughed obviously um then when they're uh, when they're leaving i asked what's going on this uh you know get in the truck and leave and that's all and then they left so obviously they realized we were not the right people but again uh, my blindness played a role my skin color played a role it all you know i couldn't do anything you know i couldn't follow instructions by the cop and the cop didn't want to listen to me you know he thought i was drunk or pretending so it was he was basically pushing me against the truck like literally slamming me against the side of the truck because i could not find where he was pointing me to go stand if we all know how deadly uh you know these interactions tend to result so yeah, you know, you're someone with authority, and you don't want to say too much or too less. And but I was kind of not in a position to really, you know, convince. Also, and my friend was also very shaken up, so he wasn't of any help, and he couldn't help because anytime he tried to help, he get yelled at and pushed back. So, you know, touching back on the topic of hate crimes in general, uh, you know, I really do appreciate you, you know, sharing your story. And it's not easy for anyone to really talk about, you know, being uh, experiencing a hate crime. What do you think is missing in the kind of current kind of discourse or you know, coverage about hate crimes, and especially as it relates to people with disabilities. Well, you know, the one going back to what I said just a minute ago about the data, we, you know, we need data and we need, I know it's hard for people to come out and talk about it. It's not the easiest. You know, you, you take me, for example, it took forever for me to disclose something like this. So I know it's hard, but it is still very important for people to tell their story because that data is critical to really show that this needs to be taken seriously 
now, yeah, Utah passed this legislation to add that into the category list. That's that's a good first step. So, you know, what happens now? You know, how are people really going to enforce and really value that, you know, list? Why Utah is just one state. You know, there's really not every state doesn't have some, something similar. The, you know, federally, you know, we don't have any federal, you know, there's no legislation coming down from, from the feds uh, that really looks at this the same way. So there's there's a lot of disconnect between states and national level. And then there's not really much space that really, that this is being talked about. You know, I'm a person who's very involved in disability rights and very involved in the disability space. And the fact that I haven't really found a space that this is really being talked about in a, openly and really discussing what's the next step. Imagine all the people who are not really involved. You know, it's it, we need more sp- opportunity, most more more spaces to really have this open dialogue that this is a problem. This is not something we can just push to the side because yeah, there's a lot of issues we're dealing with when it comes to disability but but this is a you know you know a critical piece and it it, it will not stop happening till some uh, you know more attention is brought to it so yeah you know policy is one thing but we need within the disability community also i think that needs to be more open dialogue about it because i think there is a disconnect in the disability community where people don't think this does really happen? It, you know, I think for some people, it's, you know, like you mentioned earlier about this feeling of embarrassment. Sometimes I think the sense of shame, you know, that there's there's really strong, and that, you know, there are people with disabilities who don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be pitied or, you know, see it as weak or see it as vulnerable, and yet, you know, this is going to continue to happen until people really know the true extent of the impact on, you know, so many of us. Oh, yeah, for sure. And we don't want to wait till something major happens. You know, you know, my is is mine ex- to the extreme. No, you know, I'm sure there's much worse stories out there that we have have no clue of. You know, that's why I think we really need, you know, as a community, as a disability community, we need to create spaces where this can, where people can comfortably start talking, because once we can have this conversation within our community, then only it's going to go beyond and grow beyond this community to talk about it because we need to feel comfortable at least among the people that understand us well i think like we talked about earlier you know just creating that space is so important and i think this is my small way of trying to create that space and i think it's a part of a you know larger effort by a bunch of us not just you know one single episode but hopefully yeah, once we put it out there, that's, you know, who knows what kind of effects it might have with somebody else. And, you know, if somebody can feel encouraged or, 
like if it resonates with somebody, I think that's you know that's a that's a big that's a big reason why we're doing this. And I I really do appreciate you being so open and you know honest about what happened. Well, I'm I'm glad you reached out. Like I said, and you know I, I'm glad you know this. You found this important enough to you know make this a an episode in your podcast. Thank you so much, Sachin. This podcast is a production of the Disability Visibility Project, an online community dedicated to creating, sharing, and amplifying disability media culture. All episodes including text transcripts are available at disabilityvisibilityproject.com slash podcast. You can also find out more about Satchi's work on my website. The other producer for this episode is me, Alice Wong. Introduction by Latif McFloud. Theme music by Wilcher Sports Camp. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play. You can also support our podcast for a dollar a month or more by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dvp that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash dvp thanks for listening and see you on the internet bye